Let's pray before we begin the message. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are enlivened by your word this morning. Let all of this be pleasing unto you. Guide us, direct us, move us. Ever greater love in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we're continuing in our series living stones. And last week, I briefly laid out why we are doing this particular series. And the, one of the points was this, the most important aspect above everything is that we have a living faith in Christ Jesus. And not just a personal living faith, but a living faith within the congregation as well. And a living faith personally and in the congregation that bears fruit unto Christ. So a living faith actually doesn't just sit there, but it bears fruit in many different ways. And last week laid out that there are difficulties, especially because of the institutional church, which doesn't uh, nurture a living faith, but a complacent faith. And also... It's much more difficult in our culture nowadays to be a Bible-believing, Christ-centered, gospel-proclaiming Christian because the world more and more detests that. And within the church, especially during the time of COVID, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but especially in the time of COVID, there has been a greater refining in the church. The wheat is being separated from the chaff. The gold is being separated. Uh, the dross is being separated from the gold. It's a time of separating out Christians in name only. And those who are followers of Christ Jesus, who are alive in him, whose hearts are quickened by the Spirit, who have a living faith in Christ Jesus. And these are the ones that uh, not only I'm seeing, but other pastors are seeing as well. That their hearts are quickened by the power of the Holy Spirit unto Christ Jesus. And no matter the circumstances, even through trials and tribulations, they are still rejoicing because of the love of Christ Jesus in their heart is so much greater than the darkness in the world. And so we summed up all of last week this way. Christians who are born to a living hope rejoice even though they are tested by their circumstances. That was last week, born to a living hope. And now this week, it's really simple. Because you have been born to a living hope, live like it. There, we're done. No, that's not, there, there might be a little bit more this morning. Yeah, you were like, whoa, that can't be right. Here it is, because, be holy in all that you do because you were bought with a precious price. So we are going to go with our text this morning. And the first section is called, be sober minded, ready for action. We start with verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you, we've done this before. Anytime there's a therefore, you have to ask, what's the therefore? The, the, 
What's the therefore? Therefore, right? So in this case, it's verses 1 through 12. Everything that Peter has laid out. He's basically saying, because you have been born to a living hope, set your minds on action. Or you could say this, because of that living hope, you need to prepare your minds for action. Now, it's really interesting. In the original language, it says this. This is literally, gird the loins of your mind for action. What Kind of a weird saying, isn't it? Does anybody actually understand gird your loins? I never understood that. So here's what it actually means. This will never show up on trivial, trivial pursuit, but here you go. Gird your loins. So in that time, in that era, they wore long robes, right? And sometimes they wore multiple long robes. So if you had to do any strenuous activity whatsoever, running or whatever the case may be, the robes would get in your way. So what they would do is they would take the robes and they would wrap them around their upper thigh, the loin, or even around their waist. That was girding your loins for action. Yeah. So Peter, in essence, is telling the exiles, the Christians who are dispersed in hostile land, that they need to be mentally alert and ready for action. And this message, by the way, is not new. Read Matthew chapter 24 and 25. He talks about being, Jesus talks about being ready for action. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. He said, you got to be alert. And if you have never listened to that message that I gave in the beginning of Matthew 25 about the 10 bridesmaids, that's a good one to listen to. Being alert, being ready for action. And being sober-minded. Being sober-minded means to have clear thinking, to have the right and proper perspective about everything that is happening. You see, God gave us an intellect, didn't he? And he expects us to use it to the fullest. I love this picture here because it's of uh, parents, right? Teaching their children. Now, in this case, they're looking at the Bible, but any parent, you teach their children, what do you teach them first? The ABCs, right? And then you progress to sentences and paragraphs, and you literally help them think things through. And so that they understand the meaning of what is being said, so that they understand the context and now the implication and application of what is being said, of what is written. And you know what? Thinking's hard work, isn't it? How many children have said, oh, this is too hard, right? Any parent has heard something like that before. It's too hard. Well, yes, it is. You gotta use your brain. Thinking doesn't just happen by itself. It's work. Now, as a pastor, my job is generally not physically demanding. 
I mean, actually, sometimes it is, but generally not speaking. But by the end of the week, I'm exhausted. I mean, you can talk to Heidi. She'll verify this. By the end of the week, I'm home and I'm brain dead. And I want to make zero decisions about anything. I just want to sit there and stare for a while. And why is that? Because all week long, I've been reading and thinking and wrestling with the very word of God. Now, this is no complaint on my part, not whatsoever. I'm just saying it's work. It's work. And why is it that Christians, once you graduate from confirmation, all of a sudden think, I don't have to do the work anymore. I don't have to think anymore. I just got to go to church. No, that's not it at all. You know, in our modern culture, a lot of churches are just focused on feelings and slogans. People want to chase the feeling, and they have slogans associated with this. Slogans like, let go and let God, or let the Holy Spirit do the work, as if you have nothing to do. Or, for those of you who remember Doris Day, she had a very famous song, Que Sera Sera. You ready to sing a little bit? Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. Yeah, right? And that's how a lot of churches are and a lot of Christians are. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, I don't have to think anymore. But that's just the opposite of what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means you Include your whole self, your feelings, your soul, your spirit, and your brain. So Peter says, be alert. Be ready for action. And you know, there is one thing and one thing only that is going to propel you, compel you into action. And you know what that is? He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. We are to set our hope fully on the grace of Christ Jesus. You know, runners, when they get into the block and they're right before the race, you can tell that they are fully concentrated on the goal that is set before them. And sometimes we call this being in the zone. They are there fully for that. Well, as followers of Christ, we live not only in, with a present victory, but a future hope that is imperishable. We talked about that last week, that is imperishable and given to us by the very grace of God in Christ Jesus. So we, we don't call it being in the zone. We call it abiding in Christ And when you are fully abiding in Christ and the hope that is set before you, there's a different life that you lead. One commentator said this, when you center your thoughts on the return of Christ and live accordingly, you escape the many worldly things that would encumber your mind and hinder your spiritual progress. Our outlook determines our outcome. Attitude determines action. And so what action, what attitude should you have? 
And it is very simple. Be holy. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, I have said numerous times in numerous ways, I am not here for your happiness. Now, it's not that I don't want you to be happy, but literally, I'm not here for your happiness. I am here for your holiness. Now, that sounds very, very strange to our ears in this modern culture, especially if you are an institutional church And it might even sound like I'm trying to be high and mighty. You know, putting on airs or something like that. Or that I'm raising the bar too high. But no. I haven't set the bar. I haven't raised the bar. I am simply pointing to the one who put the bar there in the first place. And that's God the Father. See, To live a holy life is a biblical calling and mandate. And because God the Father has called us and has given this to us, I am compelled to declare to you what the Father has declared. You see, what Peter is doing here in this text, he's doing a compare and contrast. He's saying that if you are a child of God, of the Father, don't act like how you were before you were a child of God. And Scripture tells us many times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, again and again and again, don't act like that. For example, if Paul, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 5. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's a pretty high bar, isn't it? You know, one person asked me recently, how, how can I stop swearing? I said, pretend you're a pastor. Because the bar is set, right? Because we expect pastors to have a certain bar, but why don't you have the same one? You see, Paul is simply echoing what Peter's writing about here. And he's writing to each and every one of us. And he says, don't do that. Rather, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. So who's the he he's referring to here? 
Well, it is none other, and we want to make sure it is none other than God the Father. And if there's any doubt, Peter references your favorite book from the Old Testament, Leviticus. Didn't you remember? That's your favorite book from the Old Testament. But it's this wonderful book because it is all about God's call to his people to be holy. And I don't know if you know this, but God the Father is also known as the Holy One of Israel. So what does holy mean? Well, holy or holiness means pure. And that's really hard for us to fathom, isn't it? I mean, what is pure? So we often think of whiter than white or, or pure as the driven snow. But holiness is the very nature of God. Again, just go back to Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. The four creatures around the throne, night and day, what did they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. To say, holy, holy, holy is the highest of all, that there is nothing other than pure holiness of God. One commentator said this, so holy is the very nature of God that he loves all that is pure and good and righteous, but also hates, abominates, and punishes all that is sinful. You see, you can't have holiness and sin together. They do not work. They must be separate. The commentator goes on, God is absolutely and unchangeably holy from all of eternity, and he has without deviation revealed himself to men as holy. The Holy One of Israel has called you. The Holy One of the universe has called you and brought you to faith in his Son, Christ Jesus. The Holy One of all has said through Christ Jesus, you are my child. Now, it's quite a bar, isn't it? I mean, if when I was wrestling with this text, I thought, this is daunting, really, when you start to think about it, because there's no way that I myself could ever attain the holiness, the righteousness of God, which is true, because if I somehow could do that, then there would be no need for Christ Jesus. And that's why Jesus came. Because of the Father's call, through Christ Jesus, his death, On the cross, you who were alienated in your sin are now brought to him and you are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. That though you are stained with sin, you are now whiter than snow. You are dressed in his robes of righteousness. So this is how God makes you holy. But there's also another another meaning for the word holy. See, the other word meaning for the word holy is to be set apart for his service. You see, and and this is what Peter is writing about here. That you now, you, 
Your name, put your name in here. Make this personal. You are called to be set apart for his service. You're not called to be like the rest of the world. You are called to be set apart unto Christ Jesus, serving him in all that you do to bear fruit. And the only way you can bear fruit is if you are abiding in him. Call from God the Father through the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to live a holy life. How often do we take that for granted? I think we often, we take that for granted very, very often. And certainly in the modern church, and certainly in the progressive church, the bar isn't raised, the bar is lowered so much that it cheapens the very grace that we were given. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about this extensively. He called it cheap grace. Here's part of a quote. In such a church, the world finds a cheap covering for its sin. No contrition is required, still less any real desire to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace, therefore, amounts to denial of the living word of God In fact, a denial of the incarnation of the word of God. If you have cheap grace in your life, you are saying that your sin doesn't matter. And if your sin doesn't matter, ultimately that will lead you to a rejection of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. But, and this is crucial, everybody listen to this one. The grace that you were given was costly. And here Peter reminds the exiles, and also you and me. We were bought with a price in the text. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your, our, from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb, like like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. See, if you are a child of God through Christ Jesus, the very holy one of the universe, you are to treat him with the utmost awe and respect. You see, fear can actually mean dread, It can mean anxiety. It can mean trembling. And we've all had that moment of fear. So are we supposed to fear the Father? Are we supposed to have dread and trembling? Well, if you're not in Christ Jesus, yeah, you should be in dread and fear of the Father. But if you are in Christ Jesus, you don't have to have that dread or fear. But the thing is, the closer you get to the Father, through Christ Jesus' Son, the more respect and awe you have for Him. The closer you get to the Father through the Son, the more respect and awe you have of the Father. If you are drawing ever closer to Christ Jesus and don't have a greater respect and awe of the Father, I would say, are you actually drawing closer to Christ? Because what you understand is how holy God is. 
that when you come before the Father, there's that fear and trembling because of who he is so much, that, that his holiness is so pure and that you're not. You understand that he doesn't bend the rules regarding your sin. He doesn't kind of kind of go, yeah, well, okay, we'll just count, skip over that one. No, he will judge impartially. Now, in Christ Jesus, we have no worry of that. But for those who are not in Christ Jesus, there's a great worry. So Peter's saying, hey, don't take the Father for granted. And don't take the Father for granted because of this, that you were ransomed by the very precious blood of Christ. That's called costly grace. And this is what Bonhoeffer had to say. Bonhoeffer, by the way, if you don't know him, he was a pastor uh, in Germany during World War II and was actually executed near the end of World War II in one of the concentration camps. But uh, I have a longer quote. You have some of it on the screen here. He said this costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. Now, it's not that you have to be saved again and again, but we forget. We forget day by day. We forget week by week the very costly grace of the gospel. So we need to be reminded again and again of that. And he goes on. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it cost a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and it is grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You are bought with a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. This is it. You are bought with a price, and the price being his blood. And Jesus gave his life so that you may have eternal life with him. Why do we say this week after week after week? Because week after week after week, we forget. <laughs> this is why Luther said he preached the gospel each and every week. Because each and every week, the congregation has forgotten because it's really easy to get involved in other things. I guarantee you there are many people who didn't go to church this morning because of, I think there's a football game today, right? I guarantee you that people have put the football game above Christ Jesus. And doing that, they cheapen the grace. So this is why we talk about Jesus Christ and his gospel again and again and again. And the gospel just didn't pop up. It was actually before all eternity. Peter writes this, verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, 
who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus Christ has existed throughout all time. There was never a time that he did not exist. And there was never a time that the plan of salvation did not exist. But Christ Jesus, God in the flesh, and the salvation came at a moment of history for your sake. So that you may have a living hope. And again, that's the Easter message, right? He is risen, he is risen indeed, so that we have that before us. And because of the Easter proclamation, therefore conduct your life according to such a gift of grace. Again, that's the message, right? But you might be wondering, okay, so what do I do? How do I conduct myself? Well, one of the ways that you conduct yourself is to love one another. He says this, and I've actually got, uh, it's actually 22 through 25 here. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass, like like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You know, last week we talked about this inexpress- inexpressible joy. See, when, when you are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, when you understand the grace that has been given to you, when you understand the love of the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son, for you, and the Holy Spirit works that faith in you, You are filled with that joy and love. And this love just kind of bubbles up out of you. I mean, you almost can't contain it, and you actually don't want to contain it. You see, the greatest manifestation of a living hope in Christ Jesus is an ever greater purity of heart that loves that you are sanctified through the word abiding in Christ Jesus. You know, I've used this example before, but the, the, you know the, the animation cartoon, The Grinch That Stole Christmas? When he finally, at the end, end of the cartoon, he finally realizes the meaning of Christmas, which, by the way, is the secular Dr. Zeus meaning of Christmas, which is kind of love and generosity. But when he understood that it was about love and generosity, what happened? His heart grew, didn't it? Okay, here's, do you remember how many sizes it grew that day? Three. Grew three sizes that day. It just kind of went boom. 
Because now he understood something that he didn't understand before. When you understand, when you, the intellect, the spirit, the heart expand in the love of Christ Jesus, your love grows. When Christ Jesus, this is important, when Christ Jesus and his gospel are front and center in your life, when you have the living hope before you and your love for Christ grows, your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ grows as well. Now, not everybody knows Dave Cosman. Dave Cosman went to be with the Lord this past July. I had the privilege of discipling Dave for about a year. And it was just amazing. See, Dave went from a person who was a churchgoer, kind of that institutional churchgoer. He would go and he kind of go, I I suppose I should get up, maybe. You know, and he'd be very lackadaisical. But man, God worked in him powerfully. And I, I wish you could have been there to see all of this. Because what happened is now he wanted to come to worship. He had never really read the Bible before. And now he was reading the Bible all the time. He was filled, abiding in the word of God. And he started to pray. He says, I've never prayed like that before. And now a spirit of prayer just kind of overtook him. And when we would be in my office just sitting, sometimes that love and joy would just, he would just start to cry because there was no other way to express the love and joy that he had. That's what we're talking about here. And even though he was older and even though he had health issues and even though his body was fading, he was filled with that. Because it's very true, all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But this is so important to grasp. Listen to this. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. When you are abiding in Christ Jesus, when you are abiding in his word, when his gospel and the costly grace is front and center in your life, there is love and there is joy. (laughs) You know, in my own faith journey, it's been really interesting. I've just been telling people more and more, I love you. And and, and it's just kind of there. It's not a forced thing. And sometimes it just kind of bubbles up in the middle of a conversation, and it might not be even apropos, but I say it, because it's there. So for you this morning, let's just grow together, right? Do the work. Do the work. Hear the word, apply the word, grow in Jesus. How have you prepared your mind for action? By the way, if you're not reading the Bible, I guarantee you are not girding the loins of your mind for action. What areas in your life need need to... Well, I should proofread this. What areas of your life need to change for your call to be holy? That's how it should read. 
what areas in your life need to change for your call to be holy? Another way to say this is, what areas of your life are based on cheap grace? And finally, the third question is this. How is the love of Christ Jesus spilled over into your love for one another? I guarantee you that if you do this work, you will have greater love and joy in your life. And then you will live and desire to live a life to be holy because he who called you is holy. And to that, everyone says, amen. Amen.